Hello, and welcome back to your friendly neighborhood podcast, Yoga After Dark. Today is very special. Today, I actually have two people on the Zoom instead of your usual one. So this is a two-for-one extravaganza. Um, unfortunately, we are going to be talking about a very sobering topic, and that topic is sobriety. Yes, I do realize how hilarious I am. So today, I have two of my students. Um, they are Ashtanga students of mine, and they have been for a while. They are also lovely human beings. And this is Darren C. and Donnie S. Welcome, and thank you for joining me, gentlemen. How are you? Oh, hi. I'm just great. Oh, good. Doing very well today. Excellent. Thank you for having us both. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. Um, so let's get started with this because sobriety is a topic I admittedly know very little about because I am not sober. Like I am very much definitely not sober. And I think most of my students uh, know that and fully understand that. Um, my brother is sober um, and my uh, grandfather and great uncles have done various stints of soberness. I do have um, alcoholism that runs through my family. It just didn't happen to hit me in a uh, negative way, I guess is how I'll say it. So I've never uh, launched into that uh, realm. So let's start with you, Donnie, um, because otherwise we'll start talking over each other. Um, why did you become sober well for a lot of people I, th I feel like the answer my answer is the answer that a lot of people have and it was life or death um and so we can just dive right in like you're absolutely right so sobriety is a sobering topic but it's also a really fucking fun topic <laughs> um we are like people that have kind of overcome this particular demon in their lives are full of a, a kind of joy and and a kind of lightheartedness that i don't find in in the daily world and so i think it's i'm really excited to be able to talk a little bit about this in in more of a public forum um but for me it's like just to plunge right in it was like i was homeless and starving so that made it really easy um and a lot of people have this experience and a lot of people don't um and so that's i guess my short answer as to why and i'm sure we'll go much deeper into various facets of that over the next however much longer we talk so very good. So, Darren, were you also homeless and starving, or no? I was not homeless and starving, um, and that that complicates things for some people. Um, but yeah, I, I was a very um, efficient, productive, and sort of organized, uh, almost perverted um, alcoholic, and so it was difficult to tell exactly where my bottom was. Um, but I would say, because they talk about bottoms, right? So it's you know, Donnie, if I may it seems obvious, you know, what your bottom was. That's not always the case, right? Because there are many different uh, trap doors to that. And for me, um, it, you know, I would say I was done drinking about maybe four years before I stopped and I couldn't stop. And the fact that I couldn't stop, although my life was for all intents and purposes, you know, going along rather, um, you know, sufficiently, at least on the outside, when we get more, when we get deeper, we'll see that that's not the case. But on the surface, 
uh, things were moving along, but you know, I was, I'd been excessively drinking for uh, 30 years, pretty much every day. Um, so I would say I became sober because I couldn't stop drinking. And in that sense, I had no control over my life, even though I had, you know, a simulacrum of, of control, obviously. And um, as we get to talking, I'm sure we will about yoga. It was also about health, right? Um, and although I appear to be, you know, a healthy, slim, sort of together kind of person, my inner health was, at least I could tell, because I think perhaps because of the yoga practice that it was really in danger of uh, going south. I would like to vouch for both um, Donnie and Darren here since uh, our listeners at home cannot see them. They are both very healthy looking, uh, adorable individuals. <laughs> so there you have it. Um, so, <laughs> so, then, so then Darren, um, when you, you know, you, you were done drinking four years before you actually stopped drinking, how did you actually go about stopping drinking? That's, um, yeah. So, well, you know, I tried many times to stop and effectively couldn't, you know, I mean, I've done 10 day, 12 day meditation retreats and I didn't drink, but that's not really stopping. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, you know, I tried, you know, some sort of basic things like that, but in, you know, in the end I found I had to throw up my hands and say, I cannot stop this thing. So I need help. Now, luckily I have, as a union employee, I bless the union, something called a, um, my God, employee assistance, EAP, employee assistance program, uh, through which you can be connected with um, help for substance abuse. And so, you know, I called said number and, and it wasn't that easy, but I had to I actually had to work quite hard at getting through. But once I did, they connected me with a substance abuse center called Intercare, which is in, um, Midtown, and and I went to like alcohol school. So it was an outpatient program. I didn't go to rehab. I could have if I had wanted to, um, but so I I kept my job and 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 I I went to sort of like alcohol school every day. It was four days a week. You can't miss it. You have to be you have to be tested for um, relapse p tested every time you go, and you learn about alcoholism. You learn all the, um, the data-based and science-based and medicine-based uh, side of, you know, um, sort of like cognitive behavioral therapy, um, dialectical behavioral therapy, you know, tools about how to get the upper hand on the disease. Also, very sneakily, for those of us who are atheistically inclined, Intercare also uh, made Alcoholics Anonymous uh, requisite to being in their program. So you had to attend one AA meeting a week, which was conveniently located in the actual center. And which also happened to be like one of the best meetings in, you know, the city. It's just an incredible place. Um, and so I went to AA once a week and I did my, you know, outpatient, um, counseling, which was, which was involved essentially, like I said, you know, classes which are essentially circles if you've ever been to like a restorative justice circle it's like that and then a smaller breakout group 
which was like me and a bunch of like tradesmen, you know, steam and engineering and welding and Darren uh, <laughs> all talking about, you know, our wives and stuff and, and, you know, about the disease and, and, and like that. So through, through those two things, um, I managed to stay, you know, sober for more than like 12 days at a Vipassana retreat. And it was, it was amazing. And it continues to be. Good for you. Was your experience um, similar, Donnie? Or did you go a different route? Oh, I went, it was not, not at all. So, I mean, similar in so many ways and dissimilar in so very many other ways, um, which is just kind of, we, we're going to be chuckling at each other, Darren and I, for the duration of this interview, like, cause there's so much that we know that, that we just do every day. And it, it's like stuff we take for granted. And, and it's all because it's because of AA really. And what I want to talk about, um, and I'm sure what Darren wants to talk about too, is like the connections that we found between this amazing positive thing that we have in our lives over here and this amazing positive thing that we found in our lives over here with you. Um, and I really, I see those connections every day. But what I'll say to answer your question is, um, first of all, I have so much respect for the people that did it like Darren, because that's the trial, right? To be able to walk out of your life that's going on the surface well enough and still say, I need to take help and I need to take action. And I need to do something about this. Um, and then because I had the luxury of the clean break, right? I had the luxury of having been uh, fired from my job. I lost my house. I'd driven to a new city where I didn't know anybody. And when push came to shove, it was so I had said I was homeless and starving. Um, that was true. I had totaled my car. Um, I had been living in my car before that point. Um, got myself a fat DUI, the insurance paid out 1700 bucks. I spent it all on booze. Um, and I remember having this moment of just like sitting on the sidewalk on Sunset Boulevard, watching the sun rise on Sunset Boulevard, ironically, um, and next to this bottle of empty shooters and just like looking up and like thinking how free I was and how wonderful this was that I didn't have to follow any rules anymore. And, and it was so great. And not three days later, I'm like calling this guy that I had met at a meeting that I went to right after I got my DUI and begging him to take me to an AA meeting. Um, and it was just, that was it. Like there's this fuzzy moment and it's fuzzy because I don't remember it because I was wasted literally 24 seven for like the last year of my drinking. And fuzzy because it was just, I don't know how to even put it in words. Like I went to this meeting, it was in Atwater Village in, in, in um, Glendale in Los Angeles. Um, and I went into the meeting thinking I am really shaky and I can't wait to get out of here so I can have a drink so I can stop this. And when I walked out, I went home and I, and I didn't, I haven't had a drink since then. And I could wax philosophical about why I think that all is, but at the end of the day, it, it just is. Um, and I'm thankful for that experience, but I think, yeah, so we, we take very different routes, but we all go to the same place. And it's, that's, that's the most interesting thing about it. And like I said, I had it easy. I had no choice. Um, it was do or die. And I think that people that really, you know, take that step into that room, I got drug in. Um, and Darren, it sounds like took a step. And I, and so I would say, I, I have a lot of respect for that story. Um, and it's, it, there's a lot of people in our, in the rooms that will look down on somebody who has a, a high bottom 
Um, and I just think, no. Um, and that opinion is, was formed a long time ago in Los Angeles, because there are a lot of kids in Los Angeles, kids in Los Angeles. There were, there were 21 year old kids that had more time than I had. Um, and that was because they had, you know, hit life early when they were 12 and 13. And so you really can't, you can't, you can't take what you see on the surface. Like you really have to just give everybody the benefit of the fucking doubt. Um, and so I guess that's my two cents on that, but yeah, that was kind of the route that I took was just kind of a wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. And, and I've been sober ever since, but it, that doesn't mean it doesn't take work for sure. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it takes work. I mean, personally, I can't, uh, even <clears throat> come to imagine what my life would, would be like, especially now where, I mean, definitely my, alcohol consumption has gone up during COVID, you know, as I'm sure many people's have. Um, and I, uh, I very much think it's still quite under control. Um, but uh, for me, um, but yeah, it's definitely increased. And, and frankly, I think just with my social life, um, I think that would be the real breaker for me as far as sobriety goes, is like, how do I lead a social life without doing the kind of normal bar thing or drinks in the park or all the little things that I do? And I know, you know, Darren and I have known each other much longer than you and I have known each other, Donnie. And you've done quite a, a great job with it, Darren. I mean, I, I drink like a fish around you uh, <laughs> still to this day. Um, how does that make you feel uh, as both your friend and also your very esteemed yoga teacher? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take the second part of that question very much into consideration. Uh, it, it, you know, it, it's, I'm sort of nonplussed. I, I mean, it, actually, I, I, it's not entirely honest. I think it's always hard to not be, um, you know, in, on the party with everyone else. Uh, in some way, but I've also found it um, kind of freeing because, like I said, I you know I had I have a very low tolerance for <clears throat> bullshit as it is. Um, the The only thing that was keeping me from uh, complete intolerance of bullshit, which frankly is a wonderful way to live, was my ability to or the secret power of, of being able to drink back into it. And you know, I just simply don't have to to um, get to that point in the party anymore and it's fine so if i'm with you you know that i'm there because i i want to be um but if i'm not it's probably because somebody's gotten so stupid that i'm just no longer uh, interested and that's that in itself is kind of a superpower that i didn't know really existed there's all these things in AA. they talk about bookending and you know leave before the party you know gets a certain way or leave before the party gets on a you know gets on a tear and you know, as we've been hanging out lately, and I've certainly probably, yeah, I've probably gone to the end a few times. Uh, but I, but just as many times, I've probably gracefully bowed out. Um, and you have a very <laughs> I don't do the Irish goodbye, but it's you know, and no, it's, it's and a it, nice one. It's it's succinct. You know what's I'm happening, thrilled. and then I, it happens. Yeah. And I'm, I'm thrilled to do that because, you know, there's nothing that can be learned at 4.30 in the morning. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> Darren, Darren, four thirty in the morning is when I do my yoga practice. Right. Well, um, <laughs> as I as I said, should I should I tell them about 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 the about the times when you woke up and ran to class? Anyway. So, yeah, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we can we can gloss over that part of my life. Okay, very good. <laughs> but no, I mean it's been, it, uh, it's it's um it's hard, yes, because of the the desire for connection through this very healthy and very, you know, it's not a it's it's a poison, but it's it's whoever made this universe also created alcohol for a reason. It's a great thing. It's a great tool, unless you can't, and then you don't. So it is difficult in some ways to not be able to use, um, you know, God's tool of alcohol. But I'm also happy that I got to the point where um, it sort of affirmed my natural, uh, uh, just basically saying no is a good and holy word. <laughs> mm. Very nice. I, I really like this idea of intolerance of bullshit being a superpower. Well, it uh, is. I think there should be an intolerance of bullshit hero like that. That makes absolute sense to me. Um, what, what does intolerance of bullshit mean to you, Donnie? Oh my goodness. I wish I had that superpower. <laughs> are you tolerating? I'll put up with Donnie, so much bullshit. Donnie, why are you tolerating bullshit? <laughs> oh my gosh, because I'm going to be a politician. Oh. Um, that's why. Um, no, I, in my professional life, I put up with a lot of shit, mm -hmm. but that's because I, it's my job. Mm -hmm. But in my life, life, no, no, you can't bullshit a bullshitter. And I used to bullshit people all till the cows came home. I would bullshit my mom for money and bullshit my husband for money and bullshit everybody for money. And it would all go to booze. And that was that. And I would just keep up the bullshit game for years and years um, to put a frame on it. Since we're like, I think we're offering two different experiences. I think for the listeners, it's it's important to kind of outline it in their what those experiences are. I drank for seven years, um, so in comparison to Darren's drinking career, it was like hard and fast. Um, I went way just straight down into the ground and stayed there for a while um, before deciding to come back up. Um, but I think that like I really hear the experience of going out with my friends until people get stupid and then just leaving. I don't think like, I'm really grateful and fortunate to have the opinion that I never ever want to be drunk ever again. And I, I don't want it. I drank enough for a few lifetimes. I won drinking. I did the math once I could have three new Mercedes SUVs with all the money I spent on booze. Um, and it's like, yeah. And I have to, I have to live with that. I have to live with the knowledge that I poured that much cash down, literally down the drain. Um, but it, when it comes to actually being present and, and doing things socially that I normally would have drank with, I've discovered this whole universe of other things that I can do and other things that I can offer to that space. Um, I have, uh, experimented with drag. Like I'm not afraid of drag. It's just not something I've ever done. I've never really had the opportunity to, I guess I was kind of waiting for somebody to put me in drag, but in my sobriety, it's been like, <clears throat> I wouldn't have anything to do. And I lived in Los Angeles and I was living in a sober house and I wanted to spend all my time on the sidewalk. So I would go to the, to the thrift stores 
And I would just walk around the thrift stores all day and go antiquing and just, you just try to find things to do. Um, and I think like these days it's, I'm, I'm not even really even focused on the fact that people are drinking because I've put so much energy into like the, the dress that I'm wearing that night, or I've put so much energy into like this, like I, I will bring cocktails to the party that I'll make for other people. Like I'm a, I'm a drunk, I make a mean ass cocktail. And like, I want to share that talent with the people that can appreciate it. Cause as Darren said, alcohol is a beautiful thing. And like, I am married to somebody who is not sober by any stretch of the imagination nation. Um, and alcohol is a part of our home life and it's a part of my daily life. And it's just not something I put in my face anymore. And so I guess I try to approach it with the sense of like, that, what can I offer now as a sober person? Not necessarily like, what am I going to take out of this? But like, what can I bring to the table? And I have so much fun with it. Like they can't get me to go home at the end of the night because I'm so cracked out on Red Bull and Mountain Dew and whatever <laughs> scheme I've gotten up to that evening that they just can't get me to shut up and, and get off the roof. Um, I'm like more, more talkative than the people that are coked out at that point. So like, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty ridiculous. You know, that's, so. you know, that's an, just to interject here. Mm -hmm. I've, I've never done cocaine. Um, mm -hmm. I just want to put that on the record for everybody. Um, and the reason <clears throat> I've never done cocaine is not because I'm an angel, as we all know, I'm not. Um, but because every time people are passing around the cocaine, you know, either with a key or a hundred dollar bill attached. I always ask the people, what is this cocaine going to do for me? And the response I invariably receive back is, oh, well, it's gonna, you know, make you like chatty and flirty and talkative and, you know, kind of give you like a little energy boost. And I always say, but do you really want me chatting, talking, flirting more than I already do that just sounds like a very very <laughs> bad idea and so then i you know then i skip the bump of cocaine right. but anyway back to you general so. consensus it's a waste <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no bueno so um when did you start filling part of your time with the yogas you oh me into my life yeah Oh, no, no, no. So, oh, the, with the yogas in general, not, yeah, the yogas with, in general. not with Ashtanga and specifically, um, the yoga came into my life at a place called Rock Creation in West LA. And it was the very first yoga class I ever went to. And there was a guy named, I don't even remember, teaching. And he it was like his last class before he was going to go. He was he had just had a baby. And so he was going to go and take care of the baby. And it was his last class. And I was like, but you're awesome. Please teach me. And I kept like, I had this curse. I call it the curse of the yoga teacher. Every time I would find what I liked, it was their last class. And it happened to be three times in LA. And so I eventually gave up. I was just like, fuck this. Because I really, I wanted to work with someone I wanted to learn from like a person that I could learn from and like because I was getting so many different things from all these different people and I wanted to just focus on one person who could teach me what they knew and so when I moved to New York it was I had been doing yoga for maybe a year at that point and I found um, a men's naked yoga class taught by one of your other students and I asked him eventually for a recommendation and he pointed me to you and so you were kind of the first person that provided that teacher influence for me so that's why however infrequently i've stuck around 
Well, I'm happy to share everything I know, and um, I don't have any plans to go to have my last class anytime soon, because uh, honestly, oh I don't know what I would do with myself. Right. <laughs> um, so Darren, I mean, I know more about your yoga history, Darren, but can you give us like kind of a, a brush stroke outline of the whole thing? Um, by the way, did we ever figure out when Yoga Sutra was? Was that 2003, 2004, 2005? Um, I think it's 2005, six. Six, okay, so it's like- six, yeah. Yeah, so like, you know, I've been studying the Ashtangas for 15 years. Yeah. About. Um, before that, I mean, I, I probably started yoga about the time I started, um, you know, drinking and partying, because California, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll, we start really early. Mm. So like 13, 14, you know, mm. um, you know, I'm from Encinitas, if you get smaller, Lucadia. Anyway, this is like the land of Paramahansa Yogananda. And so very early on, for some reason, I found myself doing these like Yogoda techniques, which are his sort of version of yoga techniques. And, um, and you know, had, and did those for, for many years until I came to New York and somehow in I think around 2000, I, well, I was in Tower Records as one was at the time, looking through the classifieds in the back of, I don't know, whatever it is, the penny state, whatever, whatever little thing there was. And I noticed this. Um, children, uh, children out there who are listening, this is before <laughs> iPhone, just so you all know, okay? Just put that in your mind, go do some research on how the world was, before the iPhone. Please continue. I found, an, I found an advertisement for Mahayogi Parmahansa, who's this Japanese dude who, um, you know, who, who teaches yoga, not the physical kind and also the physical kind. Mm -hmm. And so for, you know, a couple of years, I would show up at Sufi Books in Tribeca, in the back where they have these sort of Rothko's, this gorgeous little room and practice very, very intense set of asanas with um, mostly Japanese uh, uh, ladies who were disciples of this guy. And then he'd come every once in a while and they'd make it the sheepskin and the whole thing and the, everyone would stand and put flowers and um, it was really groovy. After that, um, and I continue to be in touch with those guys today. They're so, they're so cool. There's a beautiful, beautiful yoga. I did some Bikram which I think is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, say what you will. And then it was just sort of off to the races with Ashtanga after that. And um, I don't know, I can't stop. I'm still doggy paddling along. <laughs> I actually met Darren when I was assisting my teacher. And so she was your teacher for a while. And then um, now I have become your teacher for, you know, whatever that means um, at this point. <laughs> My grace is your grace. <clears throat> yeah, there we go. Uh, you know, most of the time, I think you're kind of ahead of me on things, but I do teach a mean backbend. So <laughs> around for that. <laughs> oh, God, I'm terrified. <laughs> so tell me how has like has the yoga supported you in your sobriety or is it just like a fun thing to do to like kill time or like what would what, what what is it what does it do for you uh let, let's better take this because i'm about oh. to blow minds so oh, okay okay i got a, I got a counterintuitive yeah. one for this hmm. 
Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. so that's for you to go, for me to go. I'm you gonna go. 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 I'm gonna go. Oh. oh, Donnie's gonna go. Okay. I'm gonna Donnie. say, yeah, he wants he's gonna blow your mind. Okay. So I'll keep it nice and boring. Yeah, you no. Um, no, I'm kidding. Um oh my gosh. My first yoga my first my first yoga teacher. Technically, I guess so, yeah. My first sponsor is a yoga teacher. <laughs> so he like he called it yobriety. He did four years of yobriety before he found the program. Like, like he really started taking the steps of AA, the 12 steps of the program of AA seriously. Um, and so it's kind of ironic what I'm about to say, I guess, is um, today yoga is an integral part of my spiritual routine. Um, it's an integral part of my spiritual life. Um, you have given me something that I can take everywhere that I go. And I think that that is the most powerful thing about it for me is that it doesn't like, you know, Americans, America made yoga into a thing you have to go to a room and pay to do. And like you do, but you don't. And we don't have to, if we don't want to, as long as we have an established practice. And I think that that's one of the first parallels that I really drew was that you can you can take this practice home with you, but you have to exercise it with other people. You can't learn this alone. And my sobriety is the same way. It's like, I can't, it's mine and it belongs to me and it's mine to take care of and, and uh, care for and water and feed and grow. And it's my responsibility, um, but it can only be given to me by the group. It can only be given to me by a teacher or a sponsor, and it can only be given to me by the other people that are in it with me doing the same thing. Um, and so that's the first parallel, I think. And so when I say like, when I first found you, I was attracted to Ashtanga because I, I come from Kung Fu. Right. Um, so before I had done yoga, I had done a lot of Shaolin. Um, I've done a lot of like some of the family traditions. Most recently I did Wing Chun. Um, and so for me, it was like learning forms was always very attractive and memorizing sequences of movement and their names was very attractive. And so when I found Ashtanga, it was like a natural fit. Um, but then just, um, I think I wrote this to you in a text once, like layers of myself started falling away on this mat and like revealing things that I forgot were there. And I was just like astounded at just the, it, the same way that I was astounded at, you know, the, my coming into the program of AA and my sobriety is like this, I never would have expected to find this here. And it was the experience that I had. So I think to, to answer the question completely, um, yes, it is integral. It's, it's not just something that helps me. It's something that I've made, you know, a critical part of how I connect with the world around me. I really like what you said about, <clears throat> um, uh, and I'll bring it into the yoga context, uh, but how your practice is your own, but you did not create it, I, I guess. You know, you, you learned it from someone and you were supported in that, that learning through a community. And you're drawing this parallel with sobriety is that your sobriety is yours. You own that. Um, however, it was, it was almost given to you Yes. By someone else. And then, you know, that was supported by, by that community. And I, that, I think that's a very, very beautiful thing. Um, 
And if we think about it just as like gift giving, you know, um, we have this potential as, as human beings to, to give someone something else. But, and, but we do have to understand that once we've given it, it is then theirs. It is then completely theirs. Um, I, I think that's just gorgeous, honestly, really. So, so tell me your tale, uh, Darren. I, I, I was just having a reverie because I just had a little, um, first of all, it's just so great, Donnie, to have, as you said before, these two stories, which are so similar and so different. And then it's just, just like you, Michael, to bring all this together. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's lovely. And I thank you as for all your teaching. I really do. It's, thank you. I can't say it enough. I can't say it enough. Thank you, teacher. Um, yeah, I, well, okay, so the little reverie I had was actually the, the little Ashtanga timeline was not quite correct. I think it was it was also around the early 2000, 2002 or something that I started to do Ashtanga yoga and I didn't know that it was Ashtanga yoga. So, um, and so she taught me for, you know, a good year and a half, something like that. And I, I was only in the mid, somewhere through that that she said, this is Ashtanga and you're an Ashtangi. Anyway, one of the other things she said, which I thought was very interesting, and this is why I bring it up. Um, she said, I said, well, how, you know, she was, she's going to stop teaching at some point. I said, who do I study with this thing? And I said, somebody's name who I will not say here. And she said, no, don't study with him. He's a, he's a heroin addict. Oh. So my experience of Ashtanga or just specifically yoga is, I mean, I was in an active addition, active addiction through the entire time. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a practice that requires a bit of, um, organization and commitment to wake up you know 5 36 in the morning and then before school and the bike there shower and sweat it out and in many ways i would say that yoga um now of course is absolutely a balm for my uh recovery but it also was an enabler throughout much of it because you know i would be bartending until you know, I close at two, so that means I'm drinking till four. Then I go to yoga at six, I'm still drunk, and I sweat it out, and then I go teach the children, and then I get off and do some other very alcoholic thing, like maybe sing a full opera, or, uh, you know, write an article. These are alcoholic things to do, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then, and then start it all over again. So, you know, the yoga, I don't, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to paint it as a, as a, just a, a beautiful balm for everything. Cause it, it really did. Um, it was a way that I maintained my kind of, um, sick schedule of, uh, self annihilation until I became sober. And then it was, it was a, an absolutely um essential part of being sober i couldn't have done it without the the subtle understanding of my body that yoga gives me and you both know what i'm talking about you know i don't have to say meridians i don't have to say um so as i don't have to say bandhas i don't have to i don't have to put any words on this but there's a there's a subtlety to the actual physical body and of course the subtle body that you develop that that having that as a as a, a visceral memory and knowing that that um that you know how this disease was affecting me was the motivation to stay sober and i mean i i you know the rooms keep me sober my 
a lot of things do, but mostly I remember that, you know, well, the right side of my brain felt swollen. My blood felt like this. My, you know, I, there, there's these, there's this level of, um, of accuracy and specificity that the practice gives you, uh, that, that is, you know, it, it is, it is the motivation for me to stay, you know, not only sober, but, but healthy. Um, while as before, in a sense, it was just, it was maintaining my addiction. Does that make sense? I just wanted to. I mean, it makes total sense. <clears throat> the thing is, is that yoga creates power. Or maybe I shouldn't say that yoga creates power, but specifically tapas creates power. Um, austerity creates power. Sacrifice creates power. Um, and so when you get up in the morning every day to do a practice, you are in the act of an austerity. You are in the act of making a sacrifice daily and that creates power. Um, you, of course, then can use your power for good or evil. <laughs> you know, there, that, that, is, that is totally up to you. And, you know, hopefully, um, if you add the other ingredients uh, in the yoga, um, along with the tapas, you get the swadhyaya, the study of yourself and the study of scripture, etc., and also the Ishwara Pranidhana, the surrender aspect of things. Then hopefully um, that will result in a in a cleansing process and not a destructive process. Um, though I think any uh, any of those three could um, tip the scales in one direction or the other. Mm -hmm. But power is definitely there. Um, power. The, you know the, the the histories are full of yogis who had immense power. Um, and then they just became demonic beings. Yeah. Power is an, is an important word for us. Yeah. Um, well, so first I want to say that like Dan and I have the experience of having gotten sober in AA. I have to take a minute to make the disclaimer that we don't have all the answers. There are lots of different ways that people get sober every day. It just so mm -hmm. happens that this is what worked for me. Um, it's what works for a lot of people and and not even just works, but it's like this is what it's something that I could make a part of the rest of my life, which I really wanted to do. Like I didn't want to go to a program and get done and leave and go back to my life. I wanted to have a new life and this let me do that. Um, so anyway, I think like for us, the word power is what I when I hear you describe the way that you just described it, it's a double edged sword you can use it for good or for evil. Um, but then there's the concept of powerlessness and the concept of surrender. And I think when it comes to austerity, um, for me, that involves a lot of surrender and a lot of letting go of my control and my power over the situation. I, I want to be able to take the power to say, well, I can do it here i try to control the day and say well i could do my practice later i can fit it in here if i want or whatever but it really takes surrender to say this is the way that it goes right i get up and i do it and that's that and so i think yeah it's that's one thing i've struggled with as i've kind of thought about my sobriety in terms of the yoga is power and power's role in my life and in which regard do I have it? And in which regards do I 
not. Um, and it's the uh, five of coins, I believe, is the tarot card that I'm thinking of as well. But we won't go there during this podcast. You and Darren probably know much more about that. Don't get me started on the five of coins. <laughs> it's the having, not having, power, knowledge, and whatever, right? The mm -hmm the person giving the coin to the one person, not the other. I forget if it's the five or it's a coins card. Anyway. <laughs> there are coins involved. There's money involved. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, th that's interesting what you say, because I, I, um, as a yoga teacher, entertain many people giving me many excuses for many things. And I, as a human being, entertain myself giving myself many excuses for many things. And <clears throat> we eventually have to make a decision of, like, when are the excuses just piling on themselves so that we have gotten to the avoidance category? And at that point, there, there does have to be a surrender because you, if you're giving yourself that many excuses, then you are no longer in control of what is actually going on. And, and you'll have to surrender to that fact. You know, if you don't do your practice when you get up in the morning and you know that you will then be able to give yourself an excuse to not do it at noon and then another excuse to not do it at three and another one to not do it at five and another one to not do it at eight, then you're left with the option of admitting to yourself that you're just not going to do it or surrendering to the fact that you just need to do it first thing in the morning. Yeah. And I would imagine it's kind of the same way with, uh, with the drink. You can give yourself an excuse to not stop and then another excuse that you wouldn't stop and then another excuse that you wouldn't stop until eventually you're, you're just not stopping. That's, I mean, it's a, it's a very good parallel. It's it's a tricky one, right? Because when you start talking about surrender and and or things like discipline, you know, the, these words have hooks in them and they bring about associations that are not always helpful. And you know, I think the the best definition of um, of of will I've heard is that will is a muscle that you develop to stay open to ultimately the flow of things. So there is this balance between, um, you know, surrendering to the fact that you need to uh, surrender to discipline and surrendering to the fact that um, perhaps your level of asceticism or is is killing you your liver <laughs> it's, a, it's a really you know it's a it's a there's a it's a fulcrum pivoting point that we all go through all the time but the one thing that has helped me is as you said waking up every day um to do this practice and see where your body's at and then see what the practice wants to be and see how you can you know expand that work with that um that's that's just been my baseline and i i don't know i couldn't i couldn't live without it uh and i haven't tried to <laughs> <laughs> very good very good 
Well, I don't want to either. I could definitely cannot live without the yoga, um, but I struggle with my schedule. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's what that's the that's the struggle I'm always going to have for the rest of my life, because I do not see myself becoming less busy anytime soon um, with law school on the horizon and whatnot. So it's like I really have to, you know, develop that that discipline to get up and do it every day and to really decide. You said your very first episode of this podcast. I it's the best one. It's the only one where you don't have a guest and I listen to it all the time <laughs> because it's just these this things you say in that one episode. It's like, I want to give it to everyone who wants to do yoga. I want to be like, just listen to this before you start because the point you really hammer home is just, it doesn't have to be perfect. Just do it. Just do it. Just do it. It's okay. You, it's okay to be selfish and take the time to do it. It's okay to not do it all the way or not do it exactly right. It's like just to, to express the dedication to get on the mat and do it in the morning is enough. And that's all the yoga really wants of you anyway, is just the, the dedicate, the fulfillment of the commitment to keep it. Um, and so that's, yeah. You know, I think um, as I'm thinking back to when I recorded that podcast, um, that was at the, the beginning of our quarantine and I was probably pulling my hair out and trying to figure out what the hell to do with my life and my practice and my students and my shala and everything else. And um, I believe at that point I was staying up really quite late uh, to do nothing of any benefit to myself. And then I was doing my, I would do my practice every day, but I was doing my practice at like 1130 in the morning or something like that. I would wake up at, I don't know, I would sleep until 10 or 1030 and just kind of like mosey about and then eventually like roll my mat out and kind of do this thing and huff and puff through it. And eventually, um, after doing that for about a week, week and a half, I thought to myself, this just literally sucks. Like every day, this sucks so much that it is 1130 and I'm practicing whatever freaking horrible, nasty ass series that I'm practicing. And yeah, it just sucked. Mm-hmm. And so then I, I had a little chat with myself and I decided to like go back to my normal schedule. Um, because getting things done earlier in the morning and then having, you know, a day wait for me um, doesn't suck nearly as much. Um, and so I think that was a, a big impetus for that particular podcast. Um, I believe another thing I said, if I didn't, then people will hear it now, is that, you know, you don't have to do everything every day. Um, and 15 minutes every day is better than two hours once a week. Um, so consistency is is more important than than the actual quantity of, of stuff that you're doing. And that's a very, very important thing to remember. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, if you, if you pull back and you look at the big, you know, the most expansive view of, of the years that I've done yoga, 
you, you know, you see consistency in doing yoga is just keeping doing it. <laughs> and, you know, the litany of, of, of reasons that I've had to stop, I couldn't, you know, I can go into injuries and this and that, but, um, you know, getting back on the mat, staying there to the, to the, you know, to the extent that you're able, I'm not going to, I will not be in class tomorrow because I'm staying tomorrow night and I'm going to sleep in. Uh, uh, is is the definition of of doing it for me? Um, otherwise, I can get a little I can get a little crazy with the uh, with the discipline. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, that's just my two cents on the whole everydayness of Ashtanga Yoga. The other thing to say about Ashtanga Yoga: if you don't do it every day, it doesn't really kind of work. Mm. Yeah, it is a much more difficult thing to make work if if you're not doing it. Yeah, very consistent. So you kind of just have to. <laughs> oh my god, I miss like well, and I'm one to talk. I honestly, I haven't done my practice in like a week now, but I go through those phases. I know I go through those phases where it's like I'll go on a trip or something, and so I don't do it. And then when I come back, it takes me a couple days before I like finally get out of bed that one morning and like, oh, okay, fuck it, fine, I'll do it. Um, but no, I find over the last, how long has it been? It's been like a year and a half now that I've been, you know, uh, with you. Um, the, the majority of that time, it's been every day, um, except for that back injury part. I really had to stop there for a while. And yeah, I agree. It's like, if I go a couple days, even like I'm dreading tomorrow morning when I'm going to get on my mat and I'm just going to have to tear everything back open, like through this like process of, uh, I don't know, metamorphosis again. And it's like, if the butterfly like reverted back into a caterpillar and then it had to come back out again. And, um, and I, yeah, I say that just because would you do it every day? It really just does not phys physically you open up but everything else opens up too and it just it's like a little flower and <laughs> i don't know i get i get really sappy and emotional when i talk Aww. about it because it's just it's like it's a beautiful thing that i have in my life and like i couldn't be more grateful for it really and that's why i wanted to talk about this today because i feel like a lot of people you know there's a lot of people that find that they see the value in it and there's a lot of people that I guess that I suspect maybe have never considered how important a practice like this could be in somebody's life. And so I really want to share that, right? And I really want to make sure that, that, that people can see how, how this can be applied in really major and central ways to your life, even if you're not like me, like I'm not, you know, I am, well, I am, but a while ago, I wasn't learning Sanskrit or reading the sutra or like doing anything like that. It was just, I was just doing the yoga. And even that really helped me in my, in my life. So I think it's important to just kind of pound that in people's heads over and over again, well, mercilessly. I mean, honestly, I, I usually think that it's contraindicated for somebody to learn the philosophy before they do the practice. I would much rather it the other way around. And I, and I think, a lot of people would agree with me on that. I would much rather people just dive into practice and then learn stuff about, you know, the metaphysics and if they want to learn Sanskrit and anything like that to take that on later. I think doing it the other way is a bit putting the cart before the horse, honestly. 
Well, I think it's important to also just specify that we're talking about Ashtanga yoga when we talk about yoga for if someone's listening and oh know. yes so, <laughs> definitely no, I mean because it it is a, it is a self-referential system with um with a long lineage of carefully planned interrelated poses uh progressively and incursively relating to each other you know what I mean like it's mm-hmm. it's like you know when they talk about bel canto singing I mean what the hell is that but back in the day when people actually learned how to sing it was a self-referential um uh Cantilena style, where it would create a beautiful voice that would sound um, to the, you know, to the inexperienced ear as absolutely natural. But what was happening inside is, you know, like the locks in the Panama Canal. Like there's just all these things. There's all these parts to it, but but it's a, it's a it's an integral and very. Um, Let's just say it, it is it is bigger than all of us, and so it would only do this this kind of um, and like you were saying, you're on you're on your mat, and and I, I don't know why, Donnie. I'm just seeing you, um, you know, having a little tear or working through something that you don't even know what it is, right? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's all part of this uh, unique style of yoga, and. I mean, we could go for hours talking about the subtleties of how, you know, my bottoms fine did this, and then I had all these injuries, and then they told me I couldn't do this, and I'd never do this, and the doctor said I had this, and and then I didn't because I was doing yoga, and then I was doing it the right way, and a better way, and learning from Michael, put me right, but, you know, so all of, it's not just yoga, it's specifically Ashtanga vinyasa yoga that that does this. I just want to say that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I would agree with you, but I think the only reason I'm willing to agree with you is because it's my area of expertise. Yeah, possibly me too. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm definitely in a I, I know, you know, about other yoga. I, I do. I've studied other yoga, but, you know, I've definitely put myself in a very particular rabbit hole and I am still going down it. I, I am too. And it's bizarre that I am, frankly. I mean, I really, I, you, you have to sort of hope that it really is <laughs> for real because otherwise you're wasting a great deal of time. <laughs> um, but then when it actually shows itself to be, even just on the physical level with all, all the other hubiwa, um, it's just amazing. I mean, it's like, you know, the benefit of the doubt goes and goes for a while because, you know, you need to do it because you're crazy. We're all crazy. I mean, you know, healthy people don't go to the doctor. I mean, look around you, go to a yoga studio. We're all lunatics. Yeah. But you do it and then it gives you these benefits and you go, my God. Yeah. Hope that makes sense. Completely. To us. <laughs> to everyone else, um, you'll just have to uh, come and do practice for 10 years, and then you, you shall know what we're talking about. So, you know, start tomorrow and uh, see you in a decade. <laughs> well, unless you two have anything to add, I think this was a lovely chat, and um, I certainly learned some things. So, thank you both. For, Thank you. for being here. It was an absolute pleasure. And I wish you the best. And uh, I will see you both soon. 
um, on your mats because that's where you're going to be. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Thank, Thank you, Tisha. Bye. Thank you.